The scripture reading for this morning is Matthew 10, 7 through 8 from the message. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Good morning, church. Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 7. I'm going to miss those little guys. We've had a chance to see that video now for the last three weeks. And um, as we wrap up this series on Home Depot, um, that's a message that I wanted to help cement into all of our minds. So that's why we've watched that the last couple of weeks as an intro into what we're doing. Before we get going, I'd like to ask you to bow with me in prayer. Mighty God, thank you for um, coming to be with us today. You promised that wherever two or more would gather in your name, there you'd come uh, to be a part of their midst. Holy Spirit, you're a welcome guest here. And we invite you to move among us and to especially take this sack lunch of a message and to help it to... um, to feed this family today beyond just what they, their needs are today but uh, in a way that would influence truly generations thank you father for um, the partnership we have with Christ Church uh, they're such a great group of people John Standards is a great minister he blesses our community in so many ways through the, the article he writes in the newspaper um, but uh, we thank you father for the life that he lives and thank you for the church that he's helped to plant here uh, at the Cultural Arts Center, just ask you to bless them today as they break bread in the name of Jesus and sing praises to your name. And then uh, to hear a word through John, filled with the Spirit, to change their lives. Help unite our hearts as disciples all over this community to truly uh, to make us one. We ask this humbly in Christ's name and everyone said. <laughs> it may be threadbare by now, but it's one of the cutest things that I think I've ever heard a kid say. It came out of the mouth of Avison, and if you know Avison, it's not, not shocking that she says things that are funny. She is Rick and Amy's five-year-old daughter, and they were at a track meet this week. Because Amy is the head trainer at the high school, Avison knows her way pretty well around that field house and also uh, the track just about anywhere there at the high school. Well, that came in handy when a lady walked up to them at the track meet and said, Can you tell me where the bathroom is? And Renee and Avison were standing there. Renee said, I, I don't know where it's at. Avison said, well, I do. Come on. I'll show you. And off she went. The lady followed about this time. It dawned on Renee that she probably shouldn't be letting her granddaughter go with some stranger to the bathroom. So they started to try to catch up, or she did. And about the time she did, (laughs) Avison was going so quick, the lady said, are we in a hurry? And Avison said, well, that depends on how bad you need to go. Love that. We're talking about loving your neighbor these days as a part of obeying the Lord's command that those little guys on the screen just tried to to show us through video. And that is God has sent us into the world to make disciples. And the truth is how quick we are to respond to that is often determined by how bad we need to go. If you're a follower of Christ, he's hoping you need to go bad. He really is. And if going to make disciples isn't that pressing an item for you right now, especially in regards to the neighborhood that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, then I want you to know I get that. It hasn't always been something that I needed to do in a bad way myself. 
But I hope that you have the urge to, to go with the good news of Christ to some neighbor. The Greek word for neighbor is simply nearby. I hope there's some nearbys in your life that you, you just need to tell them about what Christ has been doing in yours. So we've seen the last couple of weeks, that does not have to involve anything weird. Doesn't have to involve anything invasive. Doesn't have to involve anything that is threatening in any way or rude. It can be the most natural and subtle things you can do. As a matter of fact, Jesus shows us in Luke chapter 13 through the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven that he truly does prefer subtle methods for spreading his kingdom more than he does sensational. Now, I don't know about you, but I can sign up for that. I really can. I know you think I'm an extrovert, but when it comes to sharing my faith, I, I like subtle better. I like simple better, and so does Jesus, he says. Every one of us can be involved in blessing our neighbors. As a matter of fact, in the smallest of ways we can be involved in blessing our neighbors in such a way that God can help them pay huge dividends. Just hang on and I'll show you in just a minute. So what does blessing your neighbor look like? Here's what we've seen so far. It begins with prayer. Praying especially about loving your neighbor. Now, that's in, I think that's incredibly important because Jesus basically narrows down. Here's two huge expectations that God has for those of us who've been graced and called into his family. Love God and love neighbor. And i got to believe that if that's part of his will, that's part of our assignment, God's just on edge. He's beside himself to want to do just that. As a matter of fact, he says so. This is the confidence that we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And this is great. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we also know it's like already possessing what we've just asked of him. How do you hear that? Well, I well, then I want to pray some things that I know are in his will because I love to see God answer prayer. And if you do, then ask him for opportunities to be able to bless your neighbor, to be able to touch your neighbor. And the first thing that we've talked about doing is just simply listening to him. Just listen to him. And that's an essential, as a matter of fact, when you're talking about blessing your neighborhood because the last thing that you need to be is that person that nobody wants to see coming because you talk all the time. That's why James says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And that's especially true when you want to be a blessing in your neighborhood. But you can do this. You may not be a great speaker. You may not be a great singer. But you can be a great listener. Listen, you pray about that. God will help you. Because that's according to his will, too. To listen to people well. If you're not big on conversations, that's all right. Let it be one way. But your neighbor being the one who's doing most of the talking. God will help you ask the right questions. What I found out in my journey through loving on my neighbors, first of all, starting in a big way in Fredericksburg and now here, is that almost everybody that you meet has this story that they're longing to tell somebody, but they just don't have people who are willing to listen. And you can be that person. Next, we talked about just simply eating with them. Taking food to their door is a great thing, but even better is inviting them through your door into your dining room. There's nothing like hearing somebody's story in the midst of your own story. And I assure you, the moment they walk into your door without saying a word, you're going to start telling a story to the people who see your home. 
It happens all the time when people walk into ours and we have them into our dining room. And we have some things there that are strategically placed to get some conversations going. One of them is this great frame of Gail's great-grandfather. He, he got his tractor uh, diploma. And people ask us, is that real? Oh, sure, it's real. And we tell them a little bit about that story. But you know what that provides is a springboard into asking, well, tell me about your grandparents. What did he do for a living? Oh, they're from so-and-so? Well, did, did y'all live there also? No, no, no. Okay, well, tell us about where you lived. And, oh, you've got kids? That sometimes comes up because also in our living room is an empty high chair. You see, Gail and I are two grandparent wannabes. And so we've done our best to um, place some suggestive advertising wherever our children eat, and they eat a lot in my house, all right? And it's a great conversation starter for our guests that we bring in as we tell the story about that and laugh. Well, that's our suggestive advertising about our kids. We don't have grandkids yet, but we're praying and suggesting. You got any grandkids? You got, you got some kids? All kinds of things you can put around your house or already have around your house that are great on-ramps to beginning to listen to someone else's story. What a blessing it is to get to know someone else's story. And that can happen when they're eating inside your house. Now, I'm going to put pause there because I don't want to overemphasize this. I do want to emphasize it because I think one of the, the warmest, most natural ways that you can hear someone's story and bless their lives is to have them into your house for a meal. But you know what? It doesn't necessarily mean eating with them inside. You can eat with them outside. There's a young lady by the name of Christian Shell. She has a book out called the, the Turquoise Table. Maybe some of you have that in your library. There's a copy of it on the screen. If you've read her book, The Turquoise Table, or listened to her testimony on YouTube, she will tell you she has always believed that God was going to send her to the mission field. But her assumption was always international. But she writes, Never in a million years did I believe that he would call me to walk outside my door and enter the mission field of my neighborhood. She said, I had lived in my neighborhood for 10 years in Austin. I knew I was supposed to love my neighbor because I'd read the commandment, love God, love your neighbor. But that was hard to do because I didn't know my neighbors. She said, so I began with prayer and I asked God, how do I even start, Lord? And she said, after hosting a backyard party where she had to order a Lowe's picnic table that was delivered to her house and placed back there for the party, God nudged her and said, you know what, I'd like for you to take that thing out into the front yard. And so she painted it her favorite color, turquoise, and that's her table there in Austin. And it's out in the front yard of her home. She said it became like the, the old front porches. She said, we don't have much of a front porch in our house, but we have a, a turquoise table in our yard. And so I just would take my computer out there and I'd take my, my quiet time out there at different times today when I knew people were walking dogs or being about their business. And I'd just be. And she said, it was amazing before long what began to unfold in my life as people began to stop and, and visit with me and me with them and then sit and then share a glass of lemonade. She also started bringing out a, a, a little dog bowl full of water for their dogs that they were walking. It became something really special, she said. Maybe more so for our family than it did for those in the neighborhood, but she said it seemed to make a difference. Well, it made a difference in um, the daughter of John and Laura Rich. As a matter of fact, uh, she's mentioned in the book, The Turquoise Table. She heard about The Turquoise Table and said, you know, I think that would be a great idea for us because Laura has always loved to reach out to her neighbors. Even when she was living in an apartment, she loved to do that. 
But I'm not going to tell you much about her story. I'm going to invite you to listen. Listen up. always wanted to know our neighbors. When we were first married, we lived in an apartment complex, and we didn't want to let that stop us from having people over and getting to know people around us, so we had a lot of people over. When we moved into our house, same thing, I would accidentally cook too much food, then I would take the kids outside, and we went door knocking <laughs> and invited our neighbors over to have meals with us. It's something that we have tried to getting to know our neighbors. I have a, a dear friend in our neighborhood. We're also Facebook friends and she started posting about inviting people to your table, but having the table be outside. So I got one over Easter. She got one soon after and we've had a couple organized events at our tables. We had a coffee and donuts party. We invited our whole block, which is 30 houses, 30 houses. We had no idea who would come. But the, the coolest thing was that the neighbors that we knew didn't know each other. So it was a good connecting thing to start off, to kind of kickstart this turquoise table in our front yard. And since then, ooh, it's been a roller coaster of, um, of things that have happened that the Lord has just brought to us as a family. One of my neighbors is having a lot of trouble, and so um, we and some of my other neighbors are trying to help her. Through some of her struggles, another one of my neighbor's houses got flooded and came to us and said, I have standing water in my house and it's been sitting there for a week. And we said, you're going to stay with us tonight. A very obvious way that we share Jesus with them is by praying before our meals. And for my neighbor in distress, it's been very meaningful um, to pray before a meal because we include some of the things that she's going through in our prayer. <laughs> very few of our neighbors go to church. Um, very few of our neighbors love Jesus. I've had a lot of conversations with my kids about how we act as a family, what we say and what we don't say, um, because our neighbors don't have um, those filters um, around my kids. But it doesn't stop us from still going outside and still getting to know our neighbors. Having a table in your front yard is a great, easy way to get to know your neighbors. And just from what I've shared through Facebook, um, I think the count is up to eight of my friends have also gotten turquoise tables or just tables and chairs in their front yard and are trying to be intentional about their efforts in their community and their neighborhood and getting to know their immediate neighbors. So I think the turquoise table idea is easy it's not something that you have to wait for permission from a church minister to do. It's not something that you have to invite your friends to the church building because that's very intimidating. You don't even have to clean your house for it. I think that showing our neighbors how we love our kids and how Eric and I love each other as man and wife and as a family, how we kind of do life together, I hope that it's a testimony to how Jesus is in our family and in our home. Any idea that gets us in contact with our neighbors in any way, just to begin to be neighborly, I think has to make God smile. 
I don't think he accidentally chose a word that has been able to be translated without translation all throughout these years into how he wants us to love people. Neighbor has instant connotation with us. Instant understanding. It's those that are right outside our door and next to us. And so for Laura, it's, it's using a table in her front yard to be able to invite people to gather around that. Um, that may not work for you. Some of your subdivisions won't allow a table like that in your subdivision. Uh, the sportsman yard doesn't have a place for it. We got crepe myrtles in the front of it and then a driveway, so there's no place to even put a table. But you know what? John and Laura, I mean, Cheryl and John Rich, they've got a place for one, and that's theirs. A couple of weeks back, they got their turquoise table put in their front yard, and they had their first table gathering already, and eight people. Uh, where's John and Laura? Where are they sitting down? Where's John and Cheryl? Eight? Was it eight? Eight families, not eight people, eight families came. And one of them was a family that was behind them that wasn't even invited, at least first. Because they came to John and Rich the week before and brought them some cookies and said, we'd like to get to know you and especially that cute puppy that you've got in the backyard. And they did get invited to come to that first table gathering. And so already neighbors are being influenced in a great way for God there in that neighborhood. And I don't know how God's going to do that with you. But I know this church. The more that our culture becomes high-tech, the more we're going to need to be a people who are high-touch. I don't know where they're going to find that, except through the church. I'm not sure many others are out there teaching that, except in the church, of how important it is for us to touch each other's lives, not to just communicate to each other's lives, but touch them. And so as that, that technology begins to, uh, continues to spread and get thicker and deeper in our culture, it's going to continue to bring the isolation that it's already brought. People are more face to screen now than they have ever been in their lives. Much more than they've ever been just face to face. What a, what a transformation takes place when I can get face to face with someone. And they're hearing my story and I'm hearing their story. And that's what God's intending. So whether you use a table if you brought from the outside, inside out, or you're inviting folks from your neighborhood from the outside in. God's just saying, love your neighbor, eat with your neighbor. You can bless your neighbor by beginning with prayer, by listening to them, by eating a meal with them. And you know what? When you start doing those things, it's going to be amazing if you don't find a way to serve them. Serve them. You begin praying for someone, you begin listening for someone, you begin eating with someone some way, somehow in your neighborhood, and in earshot and eyesight are going to come some needs that those folks have. Almost always. But Jesus intends for that to be. He wants it to be that way. That's, that, that's treating another human being like a human being, not some checklist on your evangelistic program. Nobody wants to be that. I don't want to be that. Jesus modeled this for us when he or at least it's said about him from the Gospel of John. You know the context of this. John the Baptist is in prison, and he's a little bit confused about being in prison and possibly facing having his head chopped off and saying, how does this all add up to you being the Messiah? And so he sends some disciples to ask Jesus a question. Are you the Messiah, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus makes this reply, go and tell John what you've seen, not just heard, yes heard, but seen and heard. Blind people are now able to see, the lame are walking, people who have leprosy are being healed, the deaf can now hear, 
The dead are raised to life and the poor are hearing the good news. I love that. Jesus didn't just speak to people truth. He came to serve them. And that is its own truth. So much so that here how he is described, how he describes himself. Jesus came to serve and not to be served. And then to give away his life in exchange for many who were held hostage. It's no surprise that when he sends out his disciples to mimic what he's been modeling for them, that here's what he does. He says, I want you to go only to the house of Israel to begin with because they're like a flock of lost sheep. And as you go, you announce, that's important, speak, announce that the kingdom of God's soon going to be here. But then you serve, you heal the sick, you raise the dead to life, you heal people who have leprosy, you force out the demons. Don't just seek them to teach them. Seek them out to have mercy on them, please, in my name. Don't just instruct them, reach out to them. That's what Jesus sent his disciples out to do, and that's what he's sending us out to do. Besides, you know what serving people that you're trying to witness to is not only a wise thing to do, please hear me, it's a decent thing to do. How dare I step into someone else's life and presume that I have more to teach them than they do me? How do I know before I've listened to them? How do I know before I've served them? How do I know before I've broken bread with them? What in the world they do need? And so how rude it is for me to go and knock on anybody's door and think, I have more to share than they do. And that doesn't have to be just at someone's front door. It can be intruding into anyone's life with some message that you think they need. That's why your leadership here is calling you to be a blessing in your neighborhood, not just to go share the good news of Jesus. We want you to share the love of Christ with them first. Just meet a need. (laughs) Feed their dog when they're out of town. Offer to pick up their mail. Offer to water their plants and grass. Maybe even mow their grass. Offer to pick up their newspapers and hold on to them until they get back from being out of town. And when possible, here's what I found is a cool connection. Invite them to serve with you. There's a lady across the street who lost her husband while Gail and I have been living there. Her name is Helen. She has a son that's living with them. I don't know if Bill has some special needs, but he doesn't seem to, to have a job. But he's all over the neighborhood helping folks. And one day I said, hey, Bill, I need some help. Would you come go out to the deer lease with me? I need to move a deer feeder. He said, sure. So we got his grubbies on and his gloves, and he came out, and we met. And sure enough, we drove out to the night's place, and we moved a deer feeder around. I brought him some jerky before, so I knew he loved that stuff. And so we sat out there and had something cool to drink and ate some jerky. And he said, man, this is living. And to both of us, it is. But it was so fun to be moving something that was going to be drawing the deer and then to be eating the fruits of that right then and there with him. And we still talk about that. Hey, next time you're going out to the ranch, I'd like to go with you. You think I need to follow up on that? Oh, yeah. Because God's doing something there. Is it a real big thing? No. But God loves to do big things with small deeds. He just does. I love what Helen Keller told the Tennessee legislature. When she was young, she had longed to do great things, and she could not, she thought. And so she decided, she said to them, to do small things in a great way. And here I am, years later, quoting that young lady who didn't think that she was going to do much of anything in this world. Friend, don't be too big to do something small. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, Paul says. 
confident that nothing that you do for him is a waste of time or effort. You can serve your neighbor. Every single one of you in this room can serve your neighbor. And I guarantee you, you begin with prayer, you do some serious listening, you eat with them, you serve them, and I can guarantee you some way, somehow, being so full of Jesus and all that he's done for you is going to slosh over into a conversation one day. And you're going to have a chance to share your story. Isn't that simple? Hard? Yes. Awkward? Yes. But simple. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and share your story. Because you really do have a story to tell, especially if you believe what you've been singing this morning. That you believe that Christ came on a cross and paid a, a debt that you had no way of paying and offering you a righteousness that you had no business being offered giving you hope not only in this life to have the best life possible, but then have a life that, that, that doesn't even have an end to it. Wow. That's why it's such good news. Paul, Peter says this. In your heart, you revere Christ as Lord. That's important. But also be prepared to give an answer to everybody who asks you to give a reason for the hope that they see in you. But you do this with gentleness and respect. That's why we've been talking about bless so much, because that's where you respect people. You respect them by treating them with dignity and how you'd want to be treated. And you know what? If someone was going to talk to me about Christ and I didn't know it, regardless of what faith that I was practicing, if I was practicing anything, I would love for them to want to bless me first, to begin with prayer, to listen to me, to eat with me, to serve me, before they ever shared anything about this Jesus that they just believed I needed to hear about. That's why I can honestly say that's loving your neighbors yourself. I can't do that, Jim. <laughs> I'm just not a person who, um, who can talk to people about Jesus. I can't. Oh, baloney. If you can share how wonderful a movie is, you can talk about Jesus. If you can share how great a restaurant is or the doctor that you took your, your body to or the mechanic you took your car to. Sure you can. It's just that some of us, like me, have made it seem so difficult and so hard with our formulas we've given you, all he's asked is that you be a witness for him. All he's asked is you, that you give a testimonial, not in a funky way, but just saying, hey, can I tell you about someone who's just blessed the socks off of my life? You can do that. And if you feel like you can't, that's why he sends the comforter. If you'll put yourself in those awkward, anxious-filled situations where you don't know that you can, he'll send the comforter. He said to the disciples, listen, even if you stand before authorities and people who are looking down their noses ready to hurt you and kill you, I'll tell you exactly what to say. And i got to figure, if he'll do that for someone in those circumstances, sitting across a dinner table after I've gotten to know someone for a couple of months, maybe years, he'll help me say, well... Let me tell you why there's a bunch of cars in our, in our driveway. It's because we have a community group here and we have a little Bible study about someone who's just changed my life. His name's Jesus. But pass me the um, mayonnaise. I need to put some uh, on my sandwich here. Banana pudding. Yeah, just go on with it. Just, just a little bit. Wow. You mean that's all I have to do? Yes. Because God does great things with little seeds. 
He just does. Can it be awkward? Sure. Is it difficult? Yes. But you know what? Your first kiss was awkward and difficult, wasn't it? Would you want to miss that on that? No way. First date? First job interview? First day on the job? There's a lot of firsts in your life that were awkward and difficult, but you pressed through that, didn't you? And Jesus is going to ask you to do this too. Because making disciples means that much to him. It did for Carlene. She lived on her neighbor Fennell, played some bridge with her, had some lunches with her, and then invited her over to a neighborhood Bible study that I helped to lead called The Jesus I Never Knew. What a great study for first-timers who've never studied the Bible. Don't know Jesus at all. Fennell was a Christian already, or at least she was a, a believer. She'd never been baptized, though. And so she started coming to Oak Hills, and we got to baptize her on Easter morning. And her son was there that day. He's in his 50s. And two months later, he was baptized in the Christ, all because Carlene did a little good in her neighborhood. If a woman in her 80s, as honorary as she is, can do that, you can too. Amen, Carlene? <laughs> okay, we're not going to put that on the tape. I'm glad no one could hear that. Mickey and Peggy were a little bit neighborly. When they moved up to Long Island as a part of the Exodus movement, some Christians who decided to, uh, to move out of the Bible Belt where we got to hear about Jesus a lot moved up to the north where people didn't hear about him a lot. They took jobs as teachers on Long Island or in New York, and then they actually had a house on Long Island. It was a fixer-upper. Moved in next door to Jim and Sue Condon with their three kids. Had some meals together, played some board games together. After about a, three or four months, they asked him if they would like to have a Bible study in their home. I said, we, we really would. We've seen something in you two that we'd like to have in our house. And so they had a Bible study. A couple of months later, both of those people became Christians. About six months later, Jim left his job as a bill collector, like who wouldn't want to, to study becoming a preacher. He decided he wanted to help someone who had debts get rid of them through grace, not pressure. He became a preacher, became a missionary to Russia, and is still is preaching to this day as far as Peggy and Mickey know. All because two people did a little good in their neighborhood. Clay and Allison Robertson know the benefits of that, and so does Laura Carr because she was a beneficiary. Let me just read you her story. For two and a half years, I lived next to the Robertsons. They were like a bright light in the scary darkness of my life. Living in addiction, among other things, I'm not sure I knew exactly what drew me to them. I just knew that they were Christians and they were the kind of people you missed when they went away on vacation. With sweet kids, they would always say hi when they were outside playing. And I had an occasional conversation with Clay and Allison. These things may seem small, but they were happy and meaningful moments to me. I was very deeply depressed, and I felt like I was just waiting out my life to die. Whenever I'd see Allison, she'd always ask how I was doing and listened with sincere interest. One of the first things I can remember is one day we were having a conversation about just life in general, and when we parted ways, she told me she enjoyed talking to me that I was real. 
she repeats again in her words, real, I was real. It may have very well been the nicest thing anyone had said to me in a very long time. It may have been the first thing someone said to me that I actually accepted. I was real. I tucked that away inside my heart and I've never forgotten it. And looking back now, I think it might have been the first flicker of hope in me coming to Christ. Thinking about all this now, I think bless was actually happening in my life then. Now, the order may be a little bit different for me because although our conversations were coming easy to me, I most definitely had a protective wall up. And I'm sure that Allison sensed it, whether she realized it or not. I was somewhat unsociable. I'm a sullen person by nature. And I was also under the influence of a lot of alcohol. And when we talked, it was either while I was drunk or in between being drunk. So I never really wanted to go much further than just talking in the driveway. But God was laying a groundwork in my life through her persistence. We'd built a little foundation of friendship that I trusted and felt safe with. He had brought me to Kerrville and put me right next door to a family living strong Christian values. And I was noticing. And they were doing the best thing for me. Praying for their neighbors. Praying for me. She said, after two and a half years of God calling and calling me, finally I came home one day from the liquor store. I'd had a couple of shots. I was feeling defeated and broken. I was ready to give up. God knew that, but instead, he knew I was ready to surrender. Allison was on her front porch and said hello and asked how I was doing. It was clear I wasn't doing very well. I went over sobbing in tears. I didn't know what I should do if I should say anything, but what came out of my mouth was a question. I said, where do you guys go to church? And she answered and pressed just a little bit more, what's wrong? I expressed how empty I felt and I thought maybe I needed God. And she shared with me how God guided her and her family's life, how he was at the center of that life, how they'd been praying for me for guidance and a decision to make a difference in her life, and in my life, and all on all my life situations. She said, we pray that that God uses all of us because we all need him. She said, I know we're meant to be here in this neighborhood with you. She invited me to come to church with them that Sunday, but I was too nervous. When Sunday came, I regretted my decision to wait, though. I texted her that afternoon to see if she had a minute, and she said she did. We met on her front porch, and she shared some scripture with me. I don't remember what they were exactly, but I do remember that when I left, I felt like Jesus loved me and that he was already forgiving me. And that felt like relief. The next Sunday I met them at KCC and they introduced me to people and I felt so happy being there. I now realize that what I experienced living next door to the Robertson was kindness. Not just any kindness, but the kindness of Jesus. This and prayer were the two most important things that they could have shared with me and it meant the world. So the next week I came to church again and ten days later I was baptized in the Christ. She said to me it meant joining a family. This is, she texted me this morning. It meant burying my past and beginning a new life. And it's meant the beginning of the most incredible relationship with Jesus I ever, I ever could have imagined. He started to change me from the inside out so I don't feel the emptiness that I used to feel inside. And I certainly don't feel alone anymore. Yay, God. Just doing a little good in the neighborhood. God does amazing things with little, little deeds. He just does, because he's a great God. 
when you walk out the door in a few moments, one of our ushers is going to hand you a uh, Home Depot gift card. I wanted to wrap this series with something small that we could place in a, uh, an often viewed area of your home. And so it's got a magnet on the back that you can place on your refrigerator because everybody I know has a refrigerator in their house, right? Yeah, I can, I'm looking at you, I can tell. Everybody's got a refrigerator. And so with this card, you're also going to have on the very back, in case you forget, what bless is all about. And that way you can turn it over and just be reminded. Is there some big program the church is launching with this? No. No. Because I believe with all my heart there's a few of you in this room they are going to take this card and it's going to be placed on your refrigerator and at least minimally you're going to say as you look at that gift, wow, I've been so blessed. And you know what? That's good enough. Let's start there. Just to realize how blessed you are because Jesus Christ walked across the street of the universe and got into a woman's womb, was raised and lived a sinless life and allowed himself to become such a servant that he put that life on a cross for you so that he could pay the penalty of your sin and mine. And that three days later the Holy Spirit could raise him from the dead and give you and me hope that we would never have to die any death of any meaning whatsoever. I'm grateful for that. And so if you walk by your fridge and see that for the next year and it causes you to be grateful, success, this whole series has been a success because you know what, gathering here in this building, it's a great tool. But I want to say it one last time, your house, that's discipleship central. That's discipleship central. And if you feel like this church isn't winning as many people to Christ as we can be, it's not because we're not using this building good enough. It's because these four walls aren't being used good enough. Because I believe with all my heart, the more that we bring those people into your four walls and to be prayed over and listened to and to have dinner with and to serve and to share your story, the more we're going to see people say yes to this Christ that they see in you. Pick up your card if you want to. But more than anything else, I just pray that you become a disciple. A disciple isn't just someone who, who receives. It's someone who blesses. And may God bless us in being a church that's a blessing to this community. Father, we come to you this morning. We're grateful for everything that you're doing in our lives. What a challenge. People, people are tough. We're tough. To love us is difficult. And so first of all, we say thank you for loving us being patient with us, being kind to us and merciful to us. We want to do the same. To be honest, God, we're not sure how. And Father, as we've talked about these intentional ways to just simply bless another human being's life, if that's just nonsense, then I pray it's quickly forgotten. But if you're giving us something that will truly make a difference in the lives of the people that you've put around us right now, then would you fan that into a flame that we just can't let go of? Whether it's involving tables we put in our front yards or whether it's the people that walk by our front yard or invited to our table however but we're asking you to help us be a blessing and we ask this humbly in Christ's name and everybody said amen all right we're going to stand and celebrate the incredible Jesus I just talked about and if you want in on some of that forgiveness and that new hope then you come and be baptized this morning if you need your prayers
lifted up and we want to wrap our arms around you, we want to do that with you. So our shepherds will be at the back, I'll be at the front. Let's come while we stand and sing.